If you're a visitor this morning or if you're a first-time guest, I just want to share with you a little bit about our approach to Scripture. We take what we call an expository approach to Scripture, which means that we begin at the beginning of a book of the Bible and we just work our way all the way through trying to make sure that we get out of it everything that the Holy Spirit had intended when He inspired it. And so we may take just one verse at a time, and in some cases we've even taken just one or two words at a time. But today now, for just over a year, we come to what will be our 44th and final message from the book of Ephesians. So we've been in the book of Ephesians now for about 13, 14 months, something like that. And we've made uh, 44 different messages about the book of Ephesians. And today we're going to wrap it up. This will be our final message. And I think our passage for today is such a fitting way. It's such a such a great way to conclude the fantastic instruction that Paul has had for us this year. Over the last year, if you'll remember, we've learned that uh, as we've gone through the book of Ephesians that it's divided neatly into two sections. You'll remember that I told you that the first three chapters of Ephesians outline for us our position before God through our faith in Jesus Christ. And it was there in the first three chapters that we learned that being in Christ, God has already blessed each and every single one of us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, chapter 1 and verse 3. We also found that God specifically singled us out. God specifically chose us out to be His children. He completely bathed us in His grace. He has completely forgiven us. He has given us an inheritance, and then He has sealed us with the gift of His Holy Spirit found that he's made us alive in Christ. He's made us alive. We who once were enemies of Christ, who were dead in our trespasses, dead in sin, he has now made alive in Christ. He's given us peace and he has made us citizens of his kingdom, we have found, and that he has made us even more than that. He's made us beloved members of his family. We've become members of the very family of God. And through the power of his Holy Spirit, he has given us boldness and he's given us confidence to walk right into the very presence of God and to climb right up onto his lap, as it were, and speak to him face to face. He's given us more power than we can even begin to imagine. He's given us more resource than we can even begin to tap into. We have the unlimited resources of the very checkbook of God and all we need to do is sign the check and to cash it in. And that was just in the first three chapters. And you'll remember that it was there that we found all of the unbelievable resources and all of our incredible position before God and through our faith in Jesus Christ. That is our privileged position as we've called it in Jesus Christ. And then when we got to chapter 4, we turned the page and we turned the corner, so to speak, and it's there that Paul tells us that because you have such a privileged position, because you have such a wonderful place in Christ, you need to be sure that your practice, you need to be sure that your conduct matches your position. This is who you are, now act like it. That's his message. Remember in his writings, practice always precedes, I should say, position. It is always followed by our practice. He has blessed this church body. Friends, listen, he has blessed us and he has given us a unique combination of spiritual gifts. He has given us everything that we need to build up this body of believers. He's given everything that we need for us to have unity and for us to have peace through the Holy Spirit. He's given us every gift that we could possibly need in the lives of everyone here in this body. He's blessed us with leaders and with ministers whom he has specifically gifted to train and to bring us up and to equip us to do the work of the ministry. That's what the Bible teaches. And it's our responsibility then as a church family to use those gifts to build up the rest of the church body. 
And he tells us also in chapter 5 that we must walk in wisdom and we must walk in light. And then as we came to verse 18 of chapter 5, this is what he said. He said, and don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But look, be filled with the Holy Spirit. As we studied that verse, we understood that the filling of the Holy Spirit was to mean that we are to be thrust forward under His control. We are to be thrust forward and guided under His direction. In the exact same way that alcohol controls and influences our actions, so in that same way are we to be influenced and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And what it will cause us to do is to have a right relationship with God. Do you remember that? One of the very first results is that our relationship with God will be right. And then we found the next result is that our relationships with one another will be right. Wives will begin submitting to their husbands. Husbands will then begin loving their wives and sacrificing for them. Children will be obeying their parents and we will prefer one another. We'll prefer those around us above ourselves. That's what happens when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And finally, we reach the point where Paul has given us the some total of the six pieces of the armor of God to help us stand firm in the face of temptation, to help us stand firm in the face of trial, that we may be invincible against the attacks of Satan. Because when you live like that, when you live a lifestyle that matches your position, when your practice matches your position, you can be sure that the forces of evil are going to be coming after us and they're going to combat us. And so now Paul equips us and he tells us what it is that we have available to us in God that will allow us to stand firm in the face of temptation, that will allow us to stand firm in the face of trial, that we can be invincible against the attacks of the enemy. So based on all that we've learned in the book of Ephesians, I think it could become easy for believers to become a little bit prideful. Does that make sense? I think when we realize all that we have in our position in Christ, that it may be easy for us to become just a little bit spiritually arrogant or maybe even complacent. And I think that That temptation is probably even a little stronger in our generation of believers. Do you know why? Friends, listen. We live in such a prosperous generation. We live in such a prosperous time in history. We have absolutely everything that we could ever want. We have absolutely everything that we could ever need. And I think that what happens is as a result of that, it becomes easy for us to be so satisfied with all of the great blessing that God has poured out on us. I think it becomes easy for us to become so fat and so happy with our temporal and earthly blessing that there really isn't much need for spiritual resource. I mean, after all, my marriage is strong. My kids are healthy. We're a part of a church that is financially strong and growing in number. Things are pretty good for me right now. Things are pretty good for us here at Root River Church. But I fear, friends, that when we begin to feel that way, we may lose our passion for the things of God. Do you see? When we begin to feel that way, I fear that we may lose our hunger and our zeal for God. God, help our church never to reach the point that it becomes so successful that it loses its passion for godliness. God, help us to never become so successful that we lose our passion for God empowerment. On the other hand, let us be hungry. Let us be thirsty all the time for the righteousness of God. Let us never reach the place where we take all that God gives us and then we leave Him behind. Let us never let Him just be an add-on to our busy lives. Let us always be a church whose hearts are hungry for a greater sense of closeness with God. Let us be a church who desires more and more all the time to be in closeness and intimate relationship with God. You see, when we experience blessing and success, it's my prayer 
we'd never fall victim to the temptation to desire more blessing and to desire more things and more success from God rather than closeness with God. And I think it's because of that reality of that temptation that Paul uses the last portion of chapter 6 here, the last portion of the book of Ephesians to remind us that we must be constantly in prayer. So as he's continuing his instruction to put on the whole armor of God that we may stand firm, beginning in verse 11, Paul includes in our passage for today the reminder, he includes the reminder, friends, that without constant prayer it is all for nothing. Do you see? It's here that he tells us that the whole time that we are putting on the entire armor, the whole time that we are donning each piece, that we are to be doing the one thing that is most critical to the success of the believer in the midst of spiritual battle. And do you know what that is? It's to pray. And so now I'm going to share this with you in the New King James Version, which I think translates it very well in this case. But if you'll remember beginning in verse 14 of chapter 6, Paul tells us, Stand therefore... Remember, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, now listen closely, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and as you take each piece of the armor up, Paul continues saying this in verse 18, Praying always, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So as you stand on the battlefield, as you prepare yourselves, as you are constantly barraged by trials and temptations, you stand firm because you are outfitted in the armor of God and because you are continually, incessantly praying And while you are praying, you're being watchful. And how is it, friends, that we are to be praying? How is it? What are we supposed to be doing? The Word tells us in verse 18, with all supplication, with all prayer, with all supplication. I want to help you understand that, if I could, just for a moment. With all prayer is a really broad term in the Greek language. It's eukamai, and it simply means it could be seen as a prayer, as a general practice, but it can also be seen as worship. Now listen, in the Old Testament, The Jews had certain prescribed times of prayer. They had prescribed times of prayer throughout the day. But now, when the death of Christ occurred, when Christ died, there came a completely new and open access to the throne room of God that had never been available before. Now listen, as New Testament believers, friends, you and I have complete and unfettered access to God through our faith in Jesus Christ. Do you see? Now listen to this. Because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we have a complete and open access to the throne of God. We must be before Him constantly worshiping. We must be constantly before Him declaring His greatness. We must be constantly communicating and lifting our voices toward Him. We must be constantly speaking of His greatness, His awe, and His wonder. There's no wrong time. There's never a wrong time for you to pray. There's never a wrong posture for you to use in your prayer. Throughout the Bible, we see people praying as they're sitting in prison. We see people praying as they're standing. We see them pray as they're kneeling or as they're lying face down on the ground. We see people with their hands raised and their heads bowed. We see them 
With their eyes open, we see them with their eyes closed. But listen, the thing that we must understand is that we are to pray at all times and in all situations. All that to say that I think God is less concerned about your posture when you pray than He is about your content. Listen, He wants you to be in front of Him in prayer. He wants you to always be in front of Him in prayer. There is never a situation in which you cannot reach out to God. There is never a time in which you cannot reach out to God. There is never a time, my friends, in which God is not greater than your temporal circumstances. There's not a time that God is not greater than the things that are impacting you here on earth. He is greater than all of your circumstances. And there is never a time that you cannot declare that greatness openly and boldly. I often think of Job, the great man of God who experienced so much hardship we can't even begin to imagine some of the things that he went through. This godly man who was once healthy and very wealthy had lost absolutely everything. You remember the story. He had lost all of his family. He had lost all of his possessions. He was in terrible pain. And yet, I just love what he says in the middle of the most horrific circumstances in verse 21 of the very first chapter. This is what he says. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you see that? So here he is. He still took occasion to pray. He seized the opportunity. He seized the right time to give glory to God even when most people would have cursed God just as Job's wife had suggested that he do. But still... He had it in his heart to bring glory to God. He had it in his heart to speak to God. And he said, everything that I once had, everything that I once had, everything that I am came from God, and he can do whatever he wants to do with it. It's all his to begin with. So he gave it to me, and I was thankful when he gave it to me, and now he's taken it away from me, and that's his prerogative. And that, my friends, is the idea, that you can pray and you can worship right in the middle of all circumstances because of God's inherent beauty, because of God's inherent majesty. He is always worthy. He is always deserving of your prayer and your worship. Do you understand? That's what it means to eukamai. That's eukamai. But Paul also says that we're to pray with all supplication. And I think it'd be good for us to translate this word supplication as requests. So think about this now. We are always praying with all worship and honor of God asking all requests. Do you see this? So you are to bring all of your requests to God. Bring them all to God. There is nothing that is too little. There is nothing that is too meaningless to take to Him. There is nothing that is too trivial. He wants to hear it all. But now, hang with me for a moment. Can you just imagine what that might sound like? Some of you are nodding your heads and smiling. Imagine this. So we're to bring all requests to God. He wants to hear it all. And so I just want to make sure that you understand that There's something very important here that we need to get our arms around. Some people hear this and they think, well, I'm supposed to be constantly praying and telling God every little thing that I want. I need to be constantly praying and telling God every little thing that is bothering me right now. And I'm not sure that's the idea here. I'm not sure that's what we're after here. In fact, I think that is a bad understanding of this passage, and I think that's the opposite of what we're after here. Yes, we are to be constantly praying. Yes, we are to be constantly bringing our supplication or our request to Him, but this is not an invitation for us to just step right into the presence of God and vomit out a bunch of self-focused, self-motivated, egotistical bunch of garbage right onto the floor of the throne room of God. That's not what this is. In fact, 
I want you to know that the instruction here is very different from that. Let me show you what I mean. Let's go back to verse 18. And he says this, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. With all prayer, with all perseverance and supplication for all of my own needs, right? No, that's not what it says. It doesn't say for myself. It says for all the saints. So who is it that we're supposed to be watchful for, friends? Who are we supposed to persevere for? On behalf of who are we supposed to be taking our request to God? It's for all the saints. Now, wait a minute. Paul didn't say that we're supposed to be praying and persevering for ourselves? You mean I'm not supposed to be persevering in prayer for myself? I'm not simply in God's presence spewing forth a bunch of give-me's and help-me's and make-me's and so on. That's not what I'm supposed to be doing. No, you're not. In fact, he tells us that not only are you're not even supposed to pray for yourself at all, he says. He doesn't mention anywhere where you're praying for yourself here. He tells them, pray for all the other people who serve the Lord beside you. Lift up the fellow members of the body of Christ. Pray for your family. Pray for your church family. Not just once in a while, but do it constantly. Do it all the time. Be ever before the throne of God, bringing up and lifting up the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's weird, Scott. I mean... People are going to think I'm out of my mind if I'm constantly walking around speaking all kinds of high-minded and holy-sounding prayers, speak about other people in the church. They're going to think I'm a weirdo. (laughs) But I want you to know that's not what we're after here. Listen, first of all, to pray at all times does not mean that we're constantly walking around with our hands raised and our eyes closed. Don't do that. I've tried that as a kid. It doesn't work. Listen, we're talking about living in a constant consciousness or a constant sensitivity to God. Do you see? It means that everything that we see and everything that we experience becomes a little bit of a prayer for us. Do you see this? Think about it. It means that when we see something majestic and beautiful, we stop and we say, wow, God, you are amazing. Wow, God, you are incredible. Did you really create all of this? Thank you for allowing me to see the beauty of your creation. You're amazing. It means that when we see people who are trapped and living in sin, who don't know Christ, that we say, God, please break the curse and the bond of sin in that man's life. God, spare him and restore him to a right relationship with you. Draw him to you. Allow me to be a witness of your great mercy. Allow me to be a witness of your great grace to that man. That's what it means. It's allowing every experience, it's allowing every sight, every thought to guide your attention and your thoughts toward God. And yes, It even means that sometimes, maybe as you come to a place of temptation, that you're able to go to God and say, God, I'm struggling with a desire to do this. Please give me your strength to honor you and to say no to this temptation. It means that as well. So everything, everything that you see, everything becomes a reason for you to pray and to thank God and to just communicate with Him. Everything is a reason for you to talk to Him. I think a great illustration of that is the relationships that you'll have with your sweetie or, or with your best friend, maybe. I just, I love to talk to my wife. She's, she's my best friend. But throughout, throughout the day, I have many reminders of her. Things make me think of her often. And maybe I'll see something that reminds me of an inside joke that she and I have. Or maybe I'll, I don't know, I hear something that reminds me of something that only she would laugh at with me. But whenever those things come up, I want to talk to her and I want to tell her about it. But the problem is with <laughs> with her, I have to restrain myself because I can't be texting her and calling her every five minutes throughout the day to share with her every little thing that makes me think of her. But think about this, friends. With God, you can. 
With God, you can. You can pause for a moment and you can do that with God. And that's what we're talking about here. You are always mindful of Him. Everything you see reminds you of Him and your great love for Him. And now let's translate that to the people in our church family if we can do that. We have to have a love and a compassion for the people in our church body so that as we live in this continual place of God awareness, as we live in this continual place of God consciousness, that we bring the specific needs of our brothers and sisters before God. You see? Now listen, I can remember when our kids were younger and when we would pray with them at night, they might pray something like this. God, please heal all the sick people of the whole world. Or, God, please feed all the hungry people of the whole world. I know that's a great prayer, isn't it? I mean, I, I think especially for, uh, you know, for a, a young child, God, just give everybody everything they need. All their needs could be met. And I think it certainly comes from a loving and compassionate heart, but I think that it lacks a little bit of understanding, don't you? You see, we need to make sure that we are specific. We need to be sure that we are specific in our request to God on behalf of our brothers and sisters. And I'm going to tell you that you can't do that if you don't talk to them. If you don't have a relationship with your brothers and sisters, how are you going to know what their needs are? How are you going to lift them up? How are you going to bring their needs before the throne room of God? But I need you to know that it's also important for you to know that it is not necessarily God's will that the whole entire world would never be sick. That's not God's will. In fact, I think more importantly, it is God's will that through our illnesses, I believe that it's God's will that through all of our struggles, it's God's will that through all of the problems that we have, through in spite of it all, that our faith in Him might be made strong. You see, that's the point of struggle. That's the point of suffering. That our faith in Him might be made strong. So as we make our way through our day, maybe we see someone with a particular ailment and it reminds us of someone right here at Root River Church who's struggling with an illness and so we lift them up and we can pray for them and we can lift them up and we can ask that God would heal and restore them. Yes, but maybe we should also pray a prayer that sounds something like this. God, as Scott is dealing with his failing health, let him find his strength. Let him find his security in you. Let him become even more resolved. Let him become even more committed to serve and to honor you through the difficult times, through the struggle, through the pain, through the turmoil. Let his faith be made strong. Allow his sickness to have a purifying effect that in his life that he may be have a greater capacity to bring glory to your name. Maybe that's what our prayer should sound like. But an important key for us to understand here is that our prayers are to be in the Spirit. Now I want to help you understand that. It's important that we understand this concept. We don't want to insert in this portion of Scripture something that Paul does not intend here. Many people will tell you that this refers to praying in a prayer language of some sort or something like that, but I want you to know that I don't see that here in this particular text. There's no reference to that in any other portion of the book of Ephesians as well. But here I believe that the context certainly does not allow for us to insert that. So I don't believe that belongs here. So I think that we would do well in this particular case to think of it in the same sense that Paul spoke about being filled with the Spirit earlier in the book of Ephesians, which was in chapter 5. Remember that we mentioned this a little bit earlier today, that he said that we are to be filled with, we are to be controlled by the Holy Spirit in the same way that people are controlled by or filled with alcohol. Remember? Now listen, that's what he's after here. That as we pray, we are to be thrust forward and guided by the Holy Spirit. Now think about that. Why in the world would we need to be thrust forward by or guided by the Holy Spirit in our times of prayer? Why in the world would we need to do that? Well, Paul tells us why in Romans chapter 8. And I want to show you this. This is what it says in verse 26. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. 
But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for our words. So listen, we don't know how we're supposed to pray. And here you have the Holy Spirit himself, the one who is interceding, not with words or any form of language, but he is communicating directly with the Father on a level that you and I cannot even begin to fathom because it is too deep for words. We can't even begin to understand it. Verse 27, and he who searches hearts, who is that? Well, that's God. And so God knows what... What is the mind of the Spirit? Because the Spirit intercedes for the saint according to what? To the will of God. Do you see that here? Now listen. Here's the message. The Holy Spirit prays for all of us. He prays for each of the saints. And he knows how to pray properly because he prays according to the will of God. Do you see? He prays according to the will of God. And I'm here to tell you that I cannot say that I consistently pray according to the will of God. I can't tell you that I know how to do that every single time I pray. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think you can either. You can't say that you know how to pray according to the will of God every single time that you pray. In fact, the Scripture says you don't even know what to pray for. So we can't say that we do that. But the Spirit does know the will of God. The Spirit does know God's will, and He prays according to God's will. And it means that we are to pray with unity of thought with the Holy Spirit. That's what it means. It means that we are to be thrust forward in our prayers. We are to be controlled in our thoughts by the Holy Spirit. It means that we must force our desires. We must force our own passions and our thoughts to line up with his thoughts and with his desires. It means that we are to allow him to guide and to lead our prayers, and then it will be consistent with his prayer. Do you understand? Do you see the use of that here? And when you are able to do that, when you are able to subject your will and your prayer to the guiding of the Holy Spirit, then there's another characteristic which will develop. And this is just amazing. Take a look at verse 18 again. It says, praying always with all prayer and supplication of the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all what? With all perseverance and supplication for the saints. Listen, when you pray aligned with the will of the Holy Spirit, when you pray in alignment with the will of God, your prayers will persevere. You will persevere in your prayers. You will be constant, and you will be diligent, and you will not fail. Once again, who does it say here that your perseverant prayer is for? It says that it's for all the saints, doesn't it? It says that it's for all the saints. I mentioned earlier that we're not going to be constantly going into God's presence with our eyes on ourselves saying, God, give me, give me, give me. That's not the point of prayer. Listen, on the contrary, you should be lifting up others. Can I just challenge you with something this morning? May I ask you a question and just ask you to reflect on this deeply in your own hearts? Take a few moments and just consider the content of your most recent prayers. On whose behalf are you asking On whose behalf are you petitioning? I suspect if you're anything like me, it's not on your own behalf, is it? Or it's on your own behalf, rather. May I challenge you to change that pattern in your prayer life? May I challenge you to think about that? But Scott, wait a minute. What about my needs? You don't understand, Scott. I have this problem and I have that problem. I need this and I don't have that. My this hurts and my that isn't working properly. Listen, friends. If each one of us in this room today would spend all of his time praying for the others in this room, you can be sure that your needs will make it to the throne room of God. If we could all take our eyes off of our own needs, if we could all just take our eyes off of ourselves for just a few moments, if we could all just take our eyes off of our own desires, and if we could begin to focus on the kingdom of God and the needs of everyone else around us, friend, we may begin to feel that our needs really aren't all that bad. 
It's nothing like praying for someone else to make you feel like you really don't have it as bad as you thought. But it's hard for us to take our eyes off of ourselves because not only is it a product of our human nature, but I also think it's a product of our American culture to feel that absolutely everything, even spiritual things, are all about me. Did you hear that? I think that's especially true as Americans. Everything in my life, even spiritual things, are all about me. But listen, Paul's instruction here is not all about praying for your own needs. That's not what he's saying. His instruction is that you bear down. His instruction is that you commit yourselves to constant and fervent prayer, calling out by name the other people right here in this assembly and praying specifically for their needs and lifting them up directly before the throne of God to His glory and to His honor. We pray continually. We watch closely. We watch our friends. We watch those in the family of Christ closely and we persevere for one another. We pray for them constantly, never giving up. And then finally, Paul says in verse 19, and also for me, that words may be given to me in, my, in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. As I thought about this passage, I was, I was really stunned as I considered it. And the reason that that is the case is because, as you remember, Paul, at the very moment that he's writing this letter, is in prison. Paul is sitting in prison. And Paul is a man who was no stranger to physical pain. He was no stranger to ailment. He had been beaten. He had been whipped. And he had been stoned so many times that his body would have been badly disfigured. His this and his that would not have worked the way they were supposed to. Even at the very moment that he sat here writing this letter, he was probably shackled. He probably had shackles digging into his wrists. He probably had shackles digging into his legs as he wrote this letter. And when he finally reaches the very end of this amazing instruction here in the book of Ephesians, when he finally asks for prayer for himself, he does not pray, God, heal me physically. Do you see that? He doesn't say, ask God to set me free from prison. He doesn't say, ask God to give me strength. He doesn't say, ask God to make me well. This is just so stunning to me. He's in prison. He's malnourished. He's mistreated. And he's not saying, set me free from any of my affliction. He asks that God would give him boldness. He asks that God would give him even more strength. And friends, that's why he was in prison in the first place. He says, God, give me more boldness. Give me more boldness. His greatest concern, even in the time of his greatest need, was that the Word of God would go forth boldly. Do you see that? That was his greatest concern. Pray for me, he says, not that I get out of prison soon, not that my this stops hurting and my that starts working again. He says, pray for me that I would open my mouth and boldly and clearly, concisely proclaim the mystery of the gospel that sinful man may be reconciled to God through his faith in Jesus Christ alone. Pray for that. Pray for me that I may clearly articulate the great hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't pray that I may be free or that I may be strengthened or that I may feel better. Pray that I may be bold. Friends, can I encourage you to remember to pray often for your pastors and for those people who labor in the work of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because as I think about it, I mean, as brilliant as Paul was, with all of his spiritual gifts and all of his many talents, 
Paul still knew that without the power of the Holy Spirit, alive and active in his preaching, alive and active in his teaching, that he was nothing. He knew that. Paul knew that none of the successes that he was experiencing in the growth of the New Testament church was because he had anything special in him. It wasn't because he had any particular gifting or ability. It was because of the power of the Holy Spirit to drive the truth of the gospel deeply into the hearts of its hearers, penetrating the softened tissue and causing them to cry out, what must I do to be saved? Pray, my friends, pray for your pastors, pray for your missionaries, pray for them that the word of God will go out from their mouths in that exact same way. That's what your prayer should be for your pastors and for your missionaries. No matter their level of training, regardless of their great creativity and their big bankroll, regardless of their skill, their erudition and their diction, the only thing, the only thing that will produce a harvest for the kingdom of God is the unction of the Holy Spirit driving the Word of God deeply into the tender places of the hearts that He has prepared to hear the message. Pray for those men and women. Pray for your leaders and pray for them often. Pray that they may be emboldened Well, friends, I hope that you've enjoyed the instruction of the book of Ephesians as much as I have. I found it immensely challenging. I feel like it stretched me every step of the way. Can you say the same thing? And I can think of no more fitting way to end our study of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians than to have Paul himself share the benediction. And this is how it sounds in verse 23. Peace be to you, brothers, and love with faith. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Father, I thank You for the challenge of Your Word. I thank You that every place and every time and every occasion is the right occasion for us to be in Your presence, petitioning on behalf of our brothers and sisters, bringing worship to You that would be sweet-sounding to Your ears, Lord, I just pray that you would take the the truths of this amazing epistle and seal them deeply within our hearts. Let us own these truths as we've labored over them for the last year. I pray that you would help us to walk out of this building today being people whose lives are changed because not only have they heard the Word of God, but they've taken action on it and they've put it to work. Lord, that's our prayer. So God, I pray that you would help us to be not a church that is focused on itself and on its own needs, but let us be a church that's focused on the needs of the other bodies of this, the other people of this body of Christ. Let us, God, be a church that has a passion to reach outside of our doors, to reach the people in our community who are struggling and lost in sin and who are slaves to the bondage of sin. Lord, help us to take a message to them that can set them free, just as you have in your great mercy brought a message that has set us free. 